6.09, tensions continue to be high between Canada and China. Our two Michaels still behind bars and the saga of sexual misconduct in the military continues. So much to talk to Mercedes Stevenson about. And she joins us now, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, Sue, how are you? Excellent. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. What do you want to talk about first? Boy, so much going on. You had another busy show on the West Block. You know, Canada and China, let's begin there and, and kind of talk about where we're at. Sure. So uh, not this week, but last week, which uh, it's all bleeding into one here, so to think about it mentally. <laughs> Canada announced finally Magnitsky-style sanctions against mm-hmm. uh, four people in the Chinese regime. And that basically does things like freeze their assets in Canada, prevent them from coming here. Um, this was done in coordination with the United Kingdom, European Union, and the U.S. Um, now, in response for that, on Saturday, um, China struck back and put sanctions on a number of Canadian MPs. So this is sort of the latest in the escalation. And it's interesting because the government had resisted and resisted taking um, this kind of a tough approach to China, where they were actually going after specific individuals. It's something that had been recommended uh, by a number of experts. Other countries did it before we did, weeks before we did, months before we did. Um, And now it's like all of a sudden the corner has been turned and you're starting to get this unity of movement on certain files, what it has to do with China. Now, will this have any effect on the two Michaels? That's the big question. A lot of experts say no. It is only going to be when Meng Wanzhou, uh, when when her fate is decided that we find out what will happen. Remember, the two Michaels have both gone to trial now. Neither has had a sentence pronounced, but in the Chinese justice system, um, it essentially exists this to reinforce the decisions of the government and the state. So there's over a 99% conviction rate. So while we don't know whether or not they will be convicted, um, it's obviously highly likely that that will in fact be the case. Uh, And there still remains the question of of what to be done next. Uh, We've heard from a number of human rights groups who are asking the Canadian government to ban imports of things that come from the area where forced labor is believed to be used by the Uyghur population. That would be a lot of things like cotton and certain catch shops uh, to prevent Canadian businesses from going to that province to do business. Canada is the fifth largest investor in that region. Um, And to look at a number of other options on how to essentially send a very strong message to China as it becomes increasingly dangerous for foreign citizens who are there that might be scooped up and basically used as bargaining chips by the Chinese government. You know, we've heard from a few different people on this program that, you know, this is almost like a David versus Goliath, that Canada's small potatoes is the key, having this strength in numbers and having, you know, other uh, global, you know, powers come, you know, to our aid, if you will, as, as far as uh, you know, speaking up. Because, yeah, I mean, we like to think we're we're kind of a big deal around these parts, Mercedes, but the fact of the matter is we're such a small country compared to, to China. Yeah, and, you know, the the inability to come to Canada will not affect these people tremendously or their assets here, although I will say there's certain senior members of the Chinese regime who do like to buy property in Canada and send their children to Canadian universities who might not like it very much personally Mm -hmm. uh, if these kinds of sanctions are on them. But at the end of the day, the size of our economy compared to the size of China's economy, it's very hard Mm -hmm. to send a tough economic message. And that's where the importance of moving in lockstep as a global community Mm -hmm. um, is 
starts to have more more power and more pressure. And it's not because oh, isn't it so nice to have the whole you know world on the board and we're all going to hold hands and, and sing kumbaya <laughs> and, and scare China? No. It's because we need that in terms of economic impact. Places like the United States and the European Union have a lot more trade with China. And so if, if all those countries start moving at once, it gets a lot tougher for the Chinese because they actually start to feel that. It, it hurts them economically, whereas Canada alone really has very little economic leverage. Mercedes, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, we also heard that the woman at the heart of the sexual misconduct investigation involving Admiral Art McDonald now is speaking out. This is a story that you broke. Well, are we months into this now? Uh, yeah, we almost are. We are. Uh, February 2nd is the day that it broke. So we're almost two months into this. Wow. What's the latest and, and you know, what are you hearing from your inside folks? Well, we spoke on Sundays, you know, with Lieutenant Heather McDonald. She's in the Navy. That's important because it's a different lieutenant rank than the Army and the Air Force. Uh, and she's got 17 years in. She's a Naval Combat Systems Engineer. And she's the woman who came forward with what Global News has learned is a sexual assault allegation against the current Chief of the Defense Staff, who's Art McDonald. He, as you know, has stepped aside under police investigation. This is what the police investigation is about. Um, and she doesn't want to detail too much about what happened with her. And it's really interesting because she's so concerned about due process um, because there's never actually been a process and one doesn't exist to look at a CDS. The whole military justice process and military police process was set up for lower ranks. It was never intended to deal senior generals. Um, and it really highlights some of the struggles the military is having with this. Um, and she talked about some of the experiences she'd had that were just jaw-dropping. I mean, her first uh, week into one job, she was approached by people who told her that, you know, they'd essentially overheard uh, men on the ship talking about her and that she should keep her legs closed. She had nothing to do with any of these guys. Um, but the emphasis was somehow on her to prevent it. So she really loves the Navy. She loves the Canadian Armed Forces. She wants to stay in. But as she said, we have to stop hurting our people. We don't have enough people that we can afford mm -hmm. to be hurting them like this. Um, there's still really no movement uh, on what's going to happen on this from Harjit Sajjan, the Minister of National Defense, uh, or from the Prime Minister. We've been hearing for almost two months now that there's going to be an external probe. We've also heard promises that there's going to be an external watchdog to report sexual misconduct to. But every single uh, victim who I have talked to and every single expert on how you report this stuff has said that it has to go outside the military chain of command. And we don't have that now. That's the problem. So that would mean that watchdog needs to report to Parliament, not to the Minister of National Defense, not to the Chief of the Defense Staff, not to the military police. Mm -hmm. And that that's the only way you get around the problems with the issue of the command culture. So will that happen? Well, we'll have to see. Um, certainly, we plan to continue going with this story. The government continues to make promises but they've done very little at this point in the way of actual action. And Mercedes, uh, something I said to Sue off air, we're looking forward to when you can pen your book because I'll tell you what, this seems to be just an incredible story. <laughs> Are you story writing a book right so, now? You must you're be. You're so tight to it. No, because only my mother would read a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. We that. would buy a copy, Mercedes. <laughs> you got three, you got three, three, three copies, copies sold. Yeah. Yeah, three. <laughs> okay. Better than none. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your update. Thanks for your time this morning, Mercedes. Thanks. Take care.
That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. It's the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, March 30th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. We'll get an update on the continuing chess match between Canada and China involving the two Michaels and human rights violations. And we get the latest on sanctions being implemented by both countries. Next, we look at the controversial proposed UCP curriculum changes for K-6 students. We get reaction from a professor of social studies education from the University of Alberta. It is National Music Therapy Month. We hear about the benefits of music therapy and get details on a new program being offered up by MRU. And finally, the Owen Hart Foundation is lending a hand to Calgarians in need with their second annual Easter food drive. We get details on the food drive from Dr. Martha Hart, director of the Owen Hart Foundation. Education experts seem to be underwhelmed by the UCP's proposed changes to the education curriculum for kindergarten through grade six. Joining us to talk about this proposed plan is Carla Peck, professor of social studies education in the Department of Elementary Education at the University of Alberta. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Carla, when some of the information was leaked late last year, you are actually quoted calling the proposed changes to Alberta's social studies teaching regressive and troubling. Do you still feel this way? Have you had a chance to sort of look a little deeper into this document now? I have. I've looked at the document, uh, spent a lot of time with it yesterday, and uh, I yes, that opinion still holds. This curriculum... Uh, will set Alberta back decades in terms of um, uh, the kind of curriculum, you know, that we would want to have uh, for social studies, teaching and learning in Alberta. This does not reflect anything about current scholarship and how to best teach children uh, social studies concepts and ideas and knowledge. And uh, it's really, it's really problematic and it's really upsetting to see this kind of curriculum promoted uh, as something that is good for Alberta kids because it definitely is not. Carla, the old uh, saying is, if it ain't broke, uh, don't fix it. Or was, it. was it in this much in need of an overhaul? Was it even necessary or did you see some sections that needed some you know, upgrading, if you will? Well, actually, the, the socialized curriculum that is currently being taught was brought in under a previous conservative government uh, starting in 2005 and was implemented through 2005-2010. So among the curricula that are being uh, revised, this is one of the most recent ones. Um, and sure, I mean, every curriculum can be improved, but uh, what they have done, uh, the, the curriculum that has been now proposed, this draft document, is unrecognizable when you compare it to um, the the document, the curriculum that is currently being used by teachers. There's just absolutely no resemblance whatsoever. Can you give us a couple of examples of of what you find so frustrating, what you see in this new change document? Sure. So uh, first and foremost, the um, expectations for children uh, who are, you know, kindergarten to grade six, so what, ages five to 12 Mm -hmm. or so, um, are completely unrealistic and developmentally inappropriate. So for one concrete example is right now in the socialized curriculum, in grade six, students learn about Athenian democracy and the Iroquois Confederacy to understand some historic roots of Canadian democracy. Well, in the draft document, Athenian democracy is moved to grade two. I mean... 
it's already a challenge for kids in grade six to understand these complex and abstract concepts. They can do it with good scaffolding and good teaching, but to expect seven-year-olds to try and make those um, connections, it's just, it's so unrealistic, it's laughable. There also seems to be, from what we're hearing, uh, an increase in, in American history and a component of American history. Does that concern you? Absolutely. And I looked really deeply at the K-2 to uh, curriculum last night, and we'll be doing a real deep dive into the other grades uh, today. But, I mean, Alberta and Canada are hardly mentioned at all in what I've seen. And um, that's really surprising considering you know, the Premier and the Minister of Education's sort of constant uh, proclamations about the importance of teaching Canadian history and Albertan history. The Charter of Rights isn't mentioned. I haven't seen the word multiculturalism mentioned. Um, I mean, it's just, it's really surprising and um completely inappropriate in my mind. And it seems, you know, a lot of American history, and yet from what I can see, there doesn't seem to be a lot in terms of Indigenous teachings. No, and the the amount that is there, you might recall in the fall when some uh, draft documents were leaked to the CBC, um, there was quite a large public outcry about the way that Indigenous knowledges were referred to in those um, earlier draft documents or working documents. And, uh, you know, it was um, dismissed. Indigenous knowledge was sort of um, portrayed or con- um, characterized as uh, not important, not worthwhile. And so I think there have been some attempts to respond to that public outcry by inserting uh, some aspects of Indigenous history and, and perspectives in the curriculum, but it's still um, not very prominent in the curriculum. I have not seen the word uh, reconciliation, mm-hmm. treaties, residential schools doesn't appear until very late in elementary school, it doesn't appear at all in K-2 to two, uh, or 3-4. to four. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's a very sort of token approach and also, from what I've seen, does not actually reflect Indigenous knowledges um, and and perspectives in the way that, from my understanding and learning from Indigenous colleagues and friends and elders, that, that it should be included. Professor, let's talk about the religious component in this draft. What does it look like and how does it compare to the the previous uh, version of the curriculum? Mm-hmm. So um, there is a lot, a lot, a lot of um, religious information or content in the proposed draft document starting uh, as early as um, grade one or two and working its way up through the grades. And, you know, in grade two, it sort of introduced as um, there's a focus on three major religions, Judaism, Christianity, and and Islam. And, um, you know, it's kind of presented in in an information kind of approach. Uh, The danger is, as you get into the higher grades, is there's a really fine line about, you know, edging into um, education into a faith as opposed to about world religions. And it's curious to me why those three religious um, religions have been chosen. Mm-hmm. There are many faiths in Alberta and Canada. Um, and 
you know, I think educating about world religions has a lot of um, potential for helping develop students' understandings of multiple perspectives and worldviews and world events, frankly. But uh, it's got to be done in such a way that doesn't present one religion as superior than another or cast a religion as strange or weird, uh, which um, is... Some, there's some language to that effect uh, in the higher grades in elementary, uh, something like, you know, n- newcomers don't easily adjust to society because of their beliefs. I mean, that is such dangerous, dangerous uh, rhetoric, especially in a context of uh, anti-Asian uh, hate mm-hmm. crimes that we have seen and uh, anti-black racism and so on. So, um I think, you know, it's, there's potential to actually include good teaching and good curriculum around the teaching of world religions, but it can't be indoctrination into a faith and it can't be presenting one religion as superior or over another. Yeah, fair enough. There seems to be still a lot of work to be done on this and hopefully they'll be looking to educators and to our Indigenous communities for a little more input before this becomes finalized. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Professor Carla Peck, is a professor of social studies education in the Department of Elementary Education at the University of Alberta. Coming up on 8.50 now on your Tuesday morning, and it is Music Therapy Month in Canada, and there's a very special music therapy program at MRU. In fact, it's been so popular, they've added a second course. So with all the details, we are joined this morning by instructor Fleur Hughes. Good morning, Fleur. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, we know, you know, music is, it soothes the soul, right? Music therapy can help with mental and emotional health. So tell us about this particular program. So this is a new introductory program that's being offered at MRU. And essentially it's open to anybody who's interested in learning a little bit more about what music therapy is, what music therapy isn't, um, and as well as discussing, you know, how we can use music in our own lives to sort of help with emotional and mental health. Because I think a lot of us at the moment may feel low, may have noticed a change in our mood, and for people looking for a more creative arts way of working through those feelings, um, this program offers some sort of experiential component as well, where people can go through different interventions like lyric analysis, like improvisation, and understand, you know, how music therapists use these in their work. Fleur, how much do I have to know about music to take this course, or is this for everyone? Do I have to know how to use a musical instrument? That is a great question. Uh, You don't. Um, This course is really open to anybody. The great thing about music therapy is music therapists work with a person's most innate musicality. So you don't have to have like a grade eight piano to be able to understand how you can incorporate piano playing to help with fine motor skills. You don't have to be a songwriter to understand how you can use the concepts of songwriting um, for yourself to work through your own emotions or feelings. Can you talk to us about some of the benefits that you've seen in your students and, and what they get out of courses like this and music therapy as a whole? Uh, yes. So some of the benefits include understanding how they can use some of these interventions for their own sort of personal self-care. I think that's a very important thing at the moment, you know, how we're looking after ourselves during the pandemic. Um, and also for some of the people who've come into the course who already have a therapy background, so perhaps provisional psychologists or art therapists who've done this, 
um, they understand a little bit more about how they can incorporate some music-based techniques into their own work with others. So who should sign up? Should I sign up for something like this if I'm looking at, you know, facilitating this, you know, maybe within my profession, maybe I'm an educator to begin with, or is it a case that just for personal interest I could sign up? Uh, Definitely the latter. I'd say for personal interest. Um, You know, part of it is understanding a little bit about what music therapy is and isn't. Uh, So for people who don't know what music therapy is, uh, music therapy is the use of musical elements like pitch, rhythm, and so forth to meet a specific goal or aim. So for instance, how would you use rhythm to help someone walk? How would you use lyric analysis to help with self-expression? How would you use singing or rap to help someone with auditory memory or learn a language or understand communication. Um, Also in Canada, music therapists have a lot of training. It's actually a bachelor degree program, and then they do a thousand hour internship. But this program is a good sort of in between. You know, maybe you're a music student and you're thinking about going to study music therapy. You're not too sure. This sort of can give you some insight into what we do. You know, maybe you're a mental health professional and you just want to know a little bit more about, you know, how does music work therapeutically? This sort of course can give you some insight into that. So it's really open to a wide range. But if you've ever wondered what is music therapy, what does it do, then this is the course for you. Fantastic. It's fascinating. Thanks so much, Fleur. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That is MRU instructor Fleur Hughes. And if you want to look into this music therapy course, all you have to do is search for mru.ca and music therapy, and it'll take you straight there. 909 and the Owen Hart Foundation Easter Food Drive is back again this year in support of the Calgary Food Bank. Martha Hart started the initiative last year to help families struggling with the COVID-19 crisis. It was a huge success, so they've made it an annual event. Joining us now with all the details is Dr. Martha Hart. Hi, Martha. How are you? Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, it always amazes me how you've turned truly a heartbreaking situation into so much good. So I know you probably hate this question, but (laughs) if people are new to Calgary or maybe don't recognize the name, can you remind us about your husband, Owen Hart, and the foundation that you've created to honor him? Yes. Um, Well, Owen was, of course, an amazing husband, father, person, um, and he was also a professional wrestler who um, died in the ring. And to commemorate his legacy, we started the Owen Hart Foundation to just really show his his wonderful giving side and that's what the foundation always reflects is just uh you know how what a lovely person he was and how giving he was and we've kept that tradition going you know martha with with the background the hart family everybody knows it calgary legends you could have you know after i picked up and and moved anywhere in the world you choose to keep calgary as your home and to give back uh, to our city and beyond actually but why is it important to keep giving back to the community where you you know you know have been for for forever and a day well you know what i think that when you invest in communities that you make the world a better place for everyone um and that's sort of our our mandate is is to help those that are less fortunate so that it can lift all of us up. Now, we know it's been a tough year for so many people. And last year, you started this uh, food drive through Easter for the food bank. But clearly, things have not changed that dramatically. And if anything, we are needing to feed so many more people in our city. So talk to us about about this big food drive you've got going. Yeah, so um, it's the Owen Hart Foundation Easter Fill the Jeep. 
um, food drive for the the Calgary Food Bank. And um, it started last year because when COVID hit, um, you know, I just felt so bad that people were struggling so much. And I was trying to think, you know, what can we do to help people? But it was really difficult because we all had to do our social distancing because it was a matter of life and death. And so I contacted um, my own Heart Foundation committee members and sponsors and friends and neighbours. And I said, you know, maybe if you could just leave some food items out on your doorstep, I could pick them up and uh, we'll, we'll be safe because we don't have to have any contact. And I just had this goal that, you know, maybe if I could just fill my Jeep up um, with food, that would be a, a really good goal to hit. And uh, it ended up being such a great success. We had such a a wonderful response. We ended up collecting um, almost 1,700 pounds of food for the food bank and lots of funds and everything like that. And so we decided, you know, we want to make this an annual event. And of course, um, you know, with COVID still lingering, it's food uh, insecurity is such a big problem in our city. And, you know, there are people using the food bank that thought, you know, they'd never need to to require the services of a food bank. And it's because there's so much job loss and and so much uncertainty um, in, in our community. And so this is a really nice way for us to help out. And we're collecting on all um, non-perishable food items. But there's also other items that people might not realize that the the food bank needs. And those things include pet food, um, hygiene products, you know, uh, shampoo, conditioner, um, baby food, diapers, things like that. And so we've set up two easy drop-off sites. So we have... um, one drop-off site after eight interiors. They're in the south and they're collecting food for us from Monday to Thursday, um, 8 to 5 p.m. And we have Trapped Escape Room in Kensington and they're collecting for us um, all this week, um, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so, yeah, so we're so excited. And all the information is on our own Heart Foundation website as well. And as you know, you know, food, just having food is is really just a basic human right. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to make sure that nobody has to go without. So, um, so this is a really good way for people to get involved. And, you know, a lot of times people, they want to help, but they, they just don't know how. And, and sometimes people maybe just don't want to show up to the food bank with one bag of groceries. But it's nice that they can just come and drop that off for us and we can take it in. And, um, and, and you know, little by little, if everybody comes together and just gives a little bit, uh, we start a whole movement. And, you know, in fact, the, the Calgary Food Bank was started in the basement of a church. And now it's just a huge organization mm-hmm. that gives, you know, food to thousands of families every month. So it's, it's a really great cause and, and something that is really in need right now because, again, there's just, there's just such an uncertainty and such shortage in our city. Dr. Hart, let's talk about the fact that you you mentioned that during COVID you saw this particularly for the Easter food drive and that need, the basic need for food. But let's talk about the organization as a whole, and you're known for these incredible fundraisers each and every year. It had to be different for you and tough to not be able to hold your regular, you know, uh, glitz and glamour, uh, you know, fundraiser last year. Uh, Was that tough? And and are you looking ahead to, to maybe later this year or next year? How does that work out for you and the foundation? Yeah, you know, it was really hard. We had to um, cancel our event last year, and we're really hoping that we will have an event this year. We're looking at 
November and um, possibly bringing in um, some Canadian talent so that we don't have to worry about travel. Um, but no, you know, it's it's really hit everybody hard, uh, COVID-19. It's hit charities hard. Um, but we're really hands-on organization too. So we really like to get out there in the community and we have our big backpack giveaway that we do. And this Christmas, we did an amazing thing with um, After Eight Interiors and Trapped Escape Room where we actually made four families Christmases and we gave them fully decorated Christmas trees and presents and we took them to their houses. And so it was really fun. So, you know, we really like to... Um, have that very sort of face-to-face experience with uh, the recipients of, uh, you know, who, who benefit from the Own Heart Foundation. Um, so, yeah, it was really difficult for us to not be able to, to do a lot of the things that we like to do because of COVID, and we tried our best to, to continue on, but um, especially with the food drive, we find, like, this is a really great event yeah. because people can just drop off. There's no risk involved. And, um, you know, they're doing a really great thing for our community by, by just helping out. It's a beautiful way to keep Owen's memory alive. And I know I'm just looking at, uh, you've got so much great information about all the programs that you offer through the Owen Hart Foundation that you, through all the programs, have exceeded $4 million in gift giving and endowment contributions. So that is huge. We hope everybody can dig deep and maybe help out with the food drive and all that detail and information at owenhartfoundation.org. Thanks for joining us, Martha. Thank you, guys, and have a really great day. Thanks, you too. That is Dr. Martha Hart, Director of the Owen Hart Foundation.